0: I'm just astonished. To me, I would have thought that one of the first principles of sport was fairness. It has to be based on science and and reality and not based on a feeling, because you can't run a race on a feeling. You know, how do we quantify a feeling? How do we decide that person's feeling is real and that person's feeling is not real. You know, we have age groups, we have Paralympic categories, we have weight categories in in things like boxing. um, And we have the biggest difference is sex categories. We've allowed this emotion, you know, to take over. And all you're teaching, girls, is that
1: they can't win anything. Hello, welcome back to The Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my special guest this week, Sharon Davies. Sharon, welcome to the show. Hello, nice to speak to you. It's great to have you on, not least because you've got this new book out, which I want to talk to you about. It's brilliant. I highly recommend it to all listeners. It's called Unfair Play, The Battle for Women's Sports. It's full of your story, other sportswomen's stories. It's got color. It is absolutely packed with facts, particularly on one of the big controversial questions of our age, which is the trans question. And in this instance, the question of whether trans women, i.e. biological males, should be allowed to partake in women's sport. It covers all angles and it's really, really digs deep into the whole issue. So I want to get into those questions with you today, but I want to kick off by asking you what drove you into this debate? This is a rocky area for any woman to go into because, as you describe in the book, you get abuse, you get flack, you are demonised. That That's what happens to women who put their heads above the parapet on this issue. What compelled you to, I guess, no pun intended, jump in at the deep end on this question?
0: Brendan, you hit the nail on the head when you say women because, you know, I've got several male friends who are sportsmen and they speak and have the same opinions And they don't get a tenth of the flack, you know, or the abuse or the cancellation that that women get who speak out just to try and protect women's rights. And that's this is what it's all about. So historically, for me, as you will say, you know, saw in the book that I was competing during the GDR era. And the GDR era was when the German Democratic Republic, Mm -hmm. Old East Germany, were filling their young girls full of testosterone, someone as young as 11 and putting them through male puberty, basically. And the average pr- improvement they could make was about eight 9%. Now, the, the, the least difference between female and male was 10%, which is middle distance running. That runs all the way up to weightlifting, which is 30%. And the East German girls totally dominated with this 9% advantage that they had for nearly 20 years, and nothing was done by the IOC to stop it. So there were always two victims, people like myself, friends of mine who came forth behind three East Germans. That no one's ever remembered their names, and their whole life sort have been different they'd won gold medals as they should have done and then of course these East German girls um but what it showed was that this additional testosterone make a massive difference and at European level they won 92 percent of the women's medals I mean they took six one two threes at the Olympic Games in the year that I was competing in 1980 when I won my medal six one two threes I mean and no medals in the men's you know practically so and no one was going well why is this happening this is odd they're turning up with these, you know, very masculine shapes, very deep voices. We've never seen them before. They break a world record, they go off, and we never see them again. Nothing was ever asked of this. It was just ridiculous. So the governance from the IOC was abysmal. And what I didn't want was for another same situation to happen again. Because what the IOC have done is they've not looked at the science. They've been lobbied and they only listened to trans activists. They didn't talk to female athletes, they didn't talk to scientists, they didn't talk to coaches. They didn't even speak to federations and they just made this sweeping statement that uh, transgender women, um, we have to presume there's no advantage. Well, that's ridiculous because we have men and women's races because there's an advantage and we know that. So we have decades of those results. And at the moment, there's 18 peer-reviewed studies around the world that show that we can't remove male puberty advantage. We're asking female athletes to line up all these internationals against very mediocre male athletes that have transitioned who are now beating Elite female athletes. So, men's sport hasn't changed. They have fair sport. Women's sport has become a place where females are disadvantaged and knowingly disadvantaged. That's the thing that's so terribly unfair. We know that that's what's happening. You know, in the case of someone like Leah Thomas, it was so very obvious um, that here we had a you know a very mediocre male athlete who'd been competing until he was twenty two, never made the NC two A's, was ranked ten thousandth in the world. Right, ten thousandth in the world. <laughs> And went from being 10,000s to beating three Olympic silver medalists one year later. Allowed to reduce his testosterone level to 10 times what I have in my system. So, you know, and that's forgetting the fact that he's already gone through male puberty and all of that strength has been laid down. He's six foot two, you know, so... You can't remove that. You're not going to be able to remove the height, the, the hands, the lung capacity, the bone density, the, the the muscle density. All these things are just not, you're not able to remove that benefit. And so that's what I'm I'm talking about. I don't have a problem with anyone who's trans. I have immense sympathy for any parent that's got a transgender child. Um, but I just speak for fair sport and, and for women's opportunities. And here's another really interesting fact. Okay, so in this country alone... We have about 1,000 women that earn their career from sports. There's just under 11,000 men that earn their career from sport. In U.S. sponsorship dollar, and we're the same here. We're, we're very you know, practically no different. In the U.S. sponsorship dollar, women get 1% of the market. In airtime, we get 4% of the market. So we already have this really tiny slice of the cake, and now we're supposed to move over. <laughs> it was just never fair, and it really grated and I, just thought, I can't I can't live with this and
1: not say it. It is extraordinary, and you outline in the book very well just how extraordinary the situation is. And you mentioned Leah Thomas there. I always remember the image, the photograph I saw of Leah Thomas taking part in a woman's race, which he shouldn't have been doing, and just seeing him diving off at the start of the race, just propelling so much further than the women were when they were diving into the pool. Uh, through that power that was bestowed on him through male puberty and all the transformations that take place. Um, y- you mentioned there the GDR, the old East Germany. Um, younger listeners won't remember the GDR, but but we do. And um, it struck me reading your book that you've been actually fighting against testosterone in women's sports for a long time in two different ways. So so firstly, uh, in your 1976 Olympics, 1980 Olympics, all the competitions you took part in in the late 70s and the 80s, um, as you say, you were up against women who had been given um, synthetic testosterone, which gave them uh, extraordinary forms of power that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And now you're arguing against uh, the supposed right of men with real testosterone to take part in women's sports. So uh, across the board over the past 40 years, you have been tackling unfair play in women's sports. It's really striking that it goes on in different ways. But I wanted to, if you could just cast your mind back to the seventies and the eighties and give us a sense of what it was like. You were very young in your first Olympics and your and the subsequent Olympics. What was it like to be standing there as a young girl, um, an excellent swimmer predicted to win medals and winning medals up against women who had been in some ways um transformed into almost men and 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 the mockery that they went under themselves i mean i remember the the media discussion in the 80s was always making fun of these eastern european manly women what was it like to be in that situation how did it feel
0: It, it felt very unjust it's outrageous for anyone to say, oh, we discovered all of this when the war came down, because that's stupid. You know, as I was saying, they won so much. It was so obvious. They looked very masculine, they sounded very masculine, they had deep voices, Adam's apples. Some of them had very bad acne because that's what you know high levels of testosterone will do. Um, they had, you know, the shape of a of male, they would arrive and we hadn't seen them before, they would disappear. Um, A lot of that is explained in the book, you know, when we were able to find out why certain swimmers just disappeared afterwards. Um, And all of this was going on in plain sight and the IRC was doing nothing. So it was incredibly frustrating, you know, and you would line up next to these athletes and you you couldn't look back at their junior programs and see how they progressed or where they'd come from because it just wasn't visible. There wasn't one because they would make such massive improvements, you know, so very quickly. And so it's the same now, you know, it would be exactly the same feeling. What's different now is that it's worse now. A, because testosterone through puberty gives a bigger advantage, and B, because this is at every level across every sport across the whole world. So during the East German era, it was predominantly track and field, swimming, a little bit of rowing, um, gymnastics, but in a kind of different way. But those three sports in particular, they totally and utterly dominated, but they didn't start doing you know the european championships or the california state championships or you know the british championships they weren't in any of those so so female athletes could race in fair competitions and i remember prioritizing with my dad the commonwealth games because you know it was going to be a really hard competition against the australians and the canadians but there would be no east germans in there so it would be fair so that's what that was the way that we kind of tried to, try to deal with it and but now that's not the case you know you will have transgender athletes in every level Every kind of competition, whether that's junior competitions, school competitions, international competitions or Masters events in particular. Um, and so it's a worse problem, really, in lots of ways for, for females to be able to not enjoy fair sport and the opportunities that come from that. And you, you have to understand, I think, today as well, that sport isn't just something that people do at the weekend for a little bit of recreation. You know, this is people that train six hours a day, six days a week, spend decades doing it. Um, you know, for that one race, that one opportunity to stand on a podium, which will launch them for the rest of their lives, which will give them a career. And that's been taken away from female athletes, that equal opportunity to that, you know, those opportunities of success in the outside world because of what they achieve in sport.
1: Yeah, it's it's staggering. And um, reading about your story in, your, in the book and the Moscow manipulators and what was done in the GDR. You have a, uh, some excellent chapters on, on the history of the misuse of testosterone in women's sports in the 1980s. and It's really, really eye-opening.
0: And really sad too, isn't it? You know, I, I'm disgusted with the IOC because all of this was going on in plain sight and they did nothing. You know, and, there, and then many of these girls have died. Most of them have serious heart conditions. Um, several of them have had disabled children. This is all of a result of just literally being treated like lab rats. You know, so they didn't just let down, you know, clean athletes. They let these poor girls down that were just used as fodder for propaganda, you know, during that period of time.
1: Yeah. And you make it very clear in the book that you see – what happened with the GDR in the 80s has also been a product of misogyny. So you had these men who were running society who were pushing forward these young women and giving them drugs they shouldn't have been taken to do things that they shouldn't have been doing.
0: Well, men still run sport now, Brendan. You know, the vast majority of sports are run by men, which is one of the biggest problems we have, why women's sport isn't being championed properly and isn't being fairly represented. Because men don't see it as a threat to them. You know, they don't see it as a threat to men's sport. And of course, it's not. You know, anyone... Any female that's transitioning to be a trans man will never threaten elite male athletes. And in fact, the vast majority still opt to race with the women, which the women actually, by the way, have no problem with providing they're not on testosterone. So, you know, it's you can identify however you like, just just race where, it's, you know, where your biology matches everybody else. And that's why it's so important to have this open category. Because again, trans men just get kicked to the side and forgotten about. Where do trans men that are on testosterone race if we don't create an open category? Because they're not legally allowed to race with the women because they're taking an illegal substance, which would ban them. So where is their home? Well, again, no one ever talks about it because again, they don't matter because actually, biologically, they're female. It's you know, it's disgraceful, really, the misogyny that is happening in the world of sport.
1: If you're a regular listener to this show or a regular reader of Spiked, why not become a Spiked supporter? Spiked Supporters is our thriving community of people who donate to Spiked. Anyone who gives £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year can become a Spiked supporter and get access to lots of exciting perks. Spiked Supporters can comment on articles, get free and discounted tickets to events, get a discount on all items in our shop and bookmark articles as you browse. This is our way of saying thank you to all of you who fund our work. Spiked is completely free, and yet you still hand over your hard earned cash to make sure that anyone, anywhere can read us and listen to us. We're incredibly grateful for your generosity. If you don't give to Spiked yet, now is the perfect time to start. Just go to spiked-online.com slash supporters to set up your donation and your Spike Supporters account. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters. So in, in the 80s, there you were standing next to these women who were on synthetic forms of testosterone. You fast forward to today and we have someone like Riley Gaines, the brilliant American swimmer, who's having to stand next to Leah Thomas. And you think... What has changed, except for the fact that, as you say, if anything, it's now worse because natural testosterone gives an extraordinary amount of power to men through the process of puberty and so on. And I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit, because we often hear the argument that there's not that much difference between uh, biological women and trans women. Actually, trans women have uh, their testosterone tends to be lowered through the various hormonal treatments that they undergo. But you describe brilliantly in the book, there's so many uh, excellent facts here, which I'm going to remember and arm myself with precisely for discussions in the future. You talk about the fact that women tend to be 9% shorter than men. Uh, Men have much more muscle mass than women. And there's this really interesting graph where you outline uh, the male advantages in different sports. And it goes right from rowing, where men might have an advantage of around 10 to 12%, right through to uh, weightlifting, um, baseball, hockey, where men have a huge advantage over women.
0: Here's a really scary one, like punching. So I'm sure you saw it in the book, but a male of equal weight, so the same height, the same weight as a female, you're not talking about a great big fella versus a little woman, right? We're talking about a fella that weighs exactly the same, will punch 160% harder onto a less bone structure because females have have a less dense bone structure so you know the the, the the possibilities of serious injury in contact sports are are vast
1: so could you just say something for our listeners about how those biological differences physiological differences between men and women how do they play out in sport, in a sport like swimming or a sport like cycling, how uh, how does it translate into an advantage that just makes it incredibly unfair for women who have to compete against men?
0: Yeah, I mean, so puberty is when the majority of, I mean, I've got a 16-year-old son that, you know, that's that's full of testosterone, full of sports and grunting like crazy at the moment. <laughs> Anyone that's got kids will understand that position. And I had a daughter who's 25 now, but when she was 16, she did nothing but cry all the time, you know, so They are very different beasts. (laughs) And that's because of, you know, the hormones that are rattling around in their body. Uh, With testosterone, it enables a male to have bigger lung capacity. As you mentioned, you know, the size of hands, the height, all of those things. So what we're comparing is the average female and the average male. We're not comparing, you know, an elite female with the very worst male. We're taking the averages the same way we would take the elite male and the elite female and compare them which is why we've got this 10%, 12%, you know, all the way up to 30% in weightlifting at the Olympic Games. And that is, those figures are, you can't argue with them, they're over decades of results. And that hasn't changed for years. There was a little bit of blip, surprise, surprise, during the East German period, where the women looked as if they caught up a tiny bit. That's because they were being given you know synthetic testosterone. But that now has dropped back. So we have, we have got this very consistent difference between male and female performance. Uh, things like Q-Angle, so females have bigger hips because we're giving birth. So therefore, the angle between our hips and our knees are considerably wider, which means that women footballers get six times as many knee injuries. And we know that from statistics, but we also know that because half of the English team at the moment are with ACL problems. You know, so those are things that make a big difference when you are striding on a track. It means that you can put more power directly through. On a bike, it makes quite a big difference. None of these things can be removed by suppressing testosterone. So, and even those people that have suppressed testosterone for a really long time, we had a study that came out of um, Brazil in September of last year. And that was showing that even after 14 years, there was nowhere near parity between male and females, you know, of suppressing testosterone for 14 years.
1: So, I wanted to ask you about the suppression of testosterone because this is the argument you hear most from those who are in favor of trans women competing in, in women's sports. Um, they will say, well, look, These trans women, biological males, have undergone hormonal intervention, sometimes surgery.
0: Very rare surgery. Not a single one I can think of in sport.
1: Yeah, it's it's much less common now for for surgery to take place. Um, But they will argue that going through this process, their testosterone is hugely reduced in comparison to when they were presenting as men. Um, and in comparison to men in general, and I've never found that convincing, firstly, because one of the things that testosterone does when it courses through your body during puberty, if you're a boy, is it changes things in a radical way you get more muscle you get larger you get bigger you get stronger and those things can't be reversed unless we're going to start shrinking people and making them thinner it doesn't add up so could you just um outline for us why the testosterone suppressing argument doesn't work for you so you don't accept the idea that just because a trans woman a biological male has taken steps to suppress their testosterone that that makes them equal to women on the sports field
0: yeah, so i like to use stats and actual facts but here's another really interesting fact um apart from i think it is the 800 meters freestyle in the swimming pool 14 year old boys in america can be every single one of the american nationals for women now bearing in mind how strong american swimmers are you know they were probably the strongest swimming nation in the world so 14 year old american boys are all faster than the fastest american females so that's what happens at puberty. And that is all laid down, as you say, because of hormones, this massive surge of hormones. And in fact, we have surges of hormones even in when, you know, babies are press born. So that, that hormone works in boys even from really early doors. This isn't just, you know, at puberty. In fact, we can see the difference in performance at eight. Um, you know, throwing in particular, things like that upper body strength is much more developed in, in males than in females. And so by suppressing testosterone, you're never gonna get re- remove all of that stuff that happened during puberty. And if you carry on training, so let's just say you blow a ball up, and then that that's the size of the ball, and then you stop blowing the ball up, the ball's gonna stay that size, isn't it? And that's basically what you're doing. You know, and if someone carries on training, even if they reduce testosterone, you're not going to lose that, you know, an awful lot of that strength and that power. And that's what the East Germans are doing. So, again, it's back to me being able to know the science and know what happened during that East German period where they gave these German girls all these drugs off season whilst they were training behind the Iron Curtain and then reduced them so that they were clean whenever they came out to race. Because they were tested the same as I was tested, you know, at, at the Olympics. And it didn't show up because they worked out they could remove testosterone in three days.
1: One of the things I find very frustrating in this discussion when I follow the arguments you've been making and the speeches and articles that you've been producing over the past few years and others as well in relation to women's sports and the importance of defending it, uh, you will often be accused of being discriminatory towards trans women. The headline is usually, you want to ban trans women from sport."
0: And I so don't. I so don't. I want everyone to be involved in sport. And, and, and GMB did it this morning, and it's disgraceful because it's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there must be a place for everybody in sport, but it must be fair.
1: Yeah. And I want to ask you about that, that open category idea in a moment. But there's this really important part uh, early on in the book where you have this line that I just thought that makes perfect sense to me, where you say the exclusive nature of sport is the very thing that makes it inclusive to a wide range of people across society. And what you mean by that is and you give the example of 15 year olds are not allowed to play in the under 10s because that would be unfair to young children. They wouldn't have a fair competitive uh, uh, interaction. You talk about um, able-bodied athletes don't take up part in the Paralympics. That would be unfair on um, disabled athletes. Most people recognize that instinctively. They know that it would be unfair to allow a 25 year old man to play on an, uh, an under 14s boys football team. It wouldn't work for either side. Why can they not see that when it comes to the question of allowing biological males to, to get into all this form? Because we've
0: allowed this emotion, you know, to take over, and we've allowed an awful lot of the mainstream media to be able to use these emotive words, and, th- and we've allowed them to lie continually without anyone ever really calling them out and saying, that's not true. You know, we're not banning anybody. We're trying to create categories that people will fit into that are fair, and it has to be based on science and, and reality and not based on a feeling, because you can't run a race on a feeling. You know, how do we quantify a feeling? How do we decide that person's feeling is real and that person's feeling is not real? It's, you know, it, it, it's absolutely crazy. And you're right. You know, we have age groups, we have Paralympic categories, we have weight categories in, in things like boxing. Um, and we have the biggest difference is sex categories. So all of those other things, age group, Paralympic sport, weight, that also comes under the category of of male and female. So we have, you know, female banter weight in in boxing or we have a female under 10 race you know and I worry terribly about schools and primary schools and I had parents on the phone to me in tears saying their little girl has just come back from sports day and because the school wanted to be PC they they ran all races together and not a single little girl won a race so all you're teaching those 11 year old and under girls is that they can't win anything how's that right You know, how difficult is it to to, to run a race that, you know, is just fair (laughs) and gives equality? I don't I just find it so difficult to wrap my head around this. And one of the big problems we have with the IOC is their lack of transparency, their lack of including everybody in the debate. And they allowed themselves to be lobbied. They didn't, you know, they didn't use good science at all. They didn't use any science Um, and they didn't even ask the female athletes. In fact, World Athletics and World Swimming and World Rowing uh, and World Rugby were the first to ask female athletes, and it took them seven years to do that to ask a single solitary female athlete how they felt about it.
1: I mean, it's just extraordinary, really. But I, I did want to ask you, in fact, about sporting bodies and particularly about the IOC and just about what the current position is because you do talk in the book about how the IOC's approach to the trans question has changed. So they used to require... I think I'm right in saying they used to require um, you had to have a surgical transition before a, a biological male could take part in women's sports. Now it's my opinion that even a surgical transition doesn't turn a man it, into a woman.
0: It still wouldn't remove that puberty advantage. You know, it would stop exactly. you. It would stop you any benefit going forward, any improvement that you could probably make. But it wouldn't remove whatever you've built up to that point. So even even a surgical transition, as far as I'm concerned, I think I, I personally would love to go back to the point where we used to do sex testing. You know, and the, the trans lobby will say, well, that's so intrusive. Well, it's not. It's a, it's a cotton bud swab to the inside of your cheek because the cells will never change. So, you know, it, and that's it. The whole thing takes 30 seconds, if that. And believe me, if you're an elite athlete, you've got to pee in front of somebody, right, for the rest of your life for a doping test. That's way more intrusive than a sex test. So if you have a problem with a sex test, you're not for elite sport. <laughs>
1: So uh, what's the current position with the IOC? What's happening there? Because you mentioned other sports bodies, too, in relation to rugby and cycling. And I think the way in which some of these organizations have treated women over the past few years has been just really quite repulsive, not engaging with them, not talking to them, often seeming to care more for their own the signalling of their own pro-trans virtue rather than really thinking about what women need in their sport. What is the current position with the IOC in, in relation to the trans question?
0: I think that's probably one of the things that's disappointed me the most. You know, I thought we'd moved on a lot. I mean, in my Olympics in 1980, there was still four men to every female, okay? At that particular time, there wasn't a single female sitting on the IOC committee. I mean, you know, we had such terrible female representation. It's not a lot better, but it's got a little bit better. And yet people that are in those positions are not speaking up for female athletes. And I find that incredibly disappointing. They're guarding their position rather than, you know, sticking their head above the parapet. I'm just astonished. You know, their job is to look after sport. And to me, I would have thought that one of the first principles of sport was fairness. And what also is so frustrating is that this would never happen to men's sport. This would never be allowed to happen to men's sport. You know, men would not put up with unfair sports. It just wouldn't happen. And it's as if they just don't seem to care about you know women's sport and, and that, that opportunity, that equality, that right to fair, fairness. And the IRS are the biggest culprits because they're the ones that buckled. And then the problem was they put the pressure on everyone else to, to be brave enough to stand up to them, and nobody was. And it's taken like all this time and all this lobbying to try and get those governing bodies to do the research, to listen to the scientists, to listen to their athletes and then be brave enough to say, well, no, we're going to ring fence the female category, and then we're going to create an open and inclusive category so everybody has somewhere to race. And that's important. And if that doesn't work, then we need to think again. But, you know, the the answer isn't to throw women's sport under the bus. The answer is to think laterally and and to engage everybody around the table um, from all the different groups and to say, right, let's, let's bash out solutions.
1: Hello, everyone. It's Brendan here. I just wanted to let you know that my new book, heretics manifesto is now back in stock on amazon amazon uk had a bit of a glitch there for a few days but it's fixed now so if you tried to get a copy of my book from amazon and you couldn't go back there right now and you can get it or if you'd like a signed copy we still have our very special offer running anyone who donates 50 pounds or more to spike will get a free signed copy of the book while stocks last To donate your £50 and get your signed copy, go to spiked-online.com slash donate. That's spiked-online.com slash donate. We'll also throw in a whole year's access to Spike supporters, our online donor community packed with perks, as an extra thank you. Thank you so much. And now on with the show. So um, you mentioned earlier that we are often being told lies about how sport works uh the difference between men and women the idea that trans women are literally women that's something that we hear all the time that's one of the mantras of our age trans women are women anyone who doesn't say that can find themselves in hot water and this is why someone like Keir Starmer is always tying himself in knots because he would rather say anything except trans women are not real women um so this is where it becomes quite thorny isn't it because there is a broader social question underneath all the brilliant work that you do and lots of other women on turf island as the uk is often referred to that, uh, that lots of the other women do the women behind sex matters behind let women speak behind various movements have risen up in this country which are basically saying women deserve their own sex-based rights their own spaces and men should keep out the broader question there is the question of whether trans women are women and uh, i did want to ask you about that not to try and get you into trouble or anything like that
0: my feeling on it is that trans women are trans women and they deserve respect and they deserve safety and i think it would be much better if society had the ability to respect them and give them safety as trans women rather than try to pretend that they're something they're not and you know so that's but i i loathe all the labeling you know, I think this is so regressive. I've spent my whole life trying to get away from the idea that run like a girl, you know, that's so offensive to say run like a girl when someone spends six hours a day honing their body to be, you know, athletic perfection. And then, you know, someone's doing a mimic of them running with their arms flapping around. You know, it, it's like, this is not what being a female is. A female is not lipstick, high heels and a short skirt. You know, being female is the female biology, the hormones. It's, it's what you have to deal with on a day to day basis what women have been dealing with all over the world. But um, do you know that more women have been killed in the last century just because they're women than men have been killed in every single war?
1: Yeah, that fact did leap out at me when I was read it, yeah.
0: And, you know, and, and I think it's anywhere between two and three women every single week are killed in this country. And we have one of the better statistics. Places like Mexico and Turkey, you know, are, are two or three times as bad as us. Um, women are murdered all the time purely because they're women. So it's this constant battle to understand that we're not better or worse, we're just different. You know, we're built to do a different job. That's why, you know, females have large gametes and produce eggs, and males have small gametes that go swimming and, produce, you know, and, and actually are responsible for what the next sex is. And and that's the chain. That's it. That's the truth of it. There is no third sex. There's no third gamete. Um, you know, people with DSDs, differences of sexual development, are not a gotcha for trans activists. They're still male or female. And this is a difference of their their sexual organs. This isn't because they've become hermaphrodites, which doesn't actually exist. You know, these awful gotchas are used constantly by by trans activists to try to trip people up without actually telling the truth.
1: Yeah, and the book is full of science and facts. It's incredibly useful on that front. I, I did want to ask you about whether you were surprised when this whole trans controversy blew up over the past few years, and it really impacted on women's sports in particular and led to... Palpable, very clear acts of unfairness and injustice against female athletes. Uh, were you surprised by that? Because it does seem to me that we're in a bit of a contradictory moment right now. Because on the one hand, we like the girl boss, we like to celebrate women, move up into the boardroom, we want women in positions of power. You know, outright sexism in the old-fashioned sense, like in the nineteen seventies stand-up show or something, is is no longer acceptable. And we also celebrate women's sports too so everyone loves the lionesses everyone was cheering them on in their final um women are doing incredibly well in uh, darts and horse racing which are two sports in which it doesn't really matter whether you have a biological advantage so so women are doing incredibly well there and people are really down with that they think that's a great thing
0: well they're doing better they're doing better and, and you know we give them a bit of airtime because it's novel to see a, a female you know with all the the guys throwing a set of dots. But actually, when it comes to the big prizes and the big money, they're not. And it's like if I said to you, okay, tell me how many Formula One female champions there's been. In 40 years, there's not even been one that's taken part, let alone been a champion. It's things like that. And those are supposed to be open categories. Those are categories where both males and females can rise through the ranks and both become successful. Well, it doesn't happen. Women don't get those opportunities to rise through the ranks. So the only way to do that is to have women's races so that they have some where they can go and shine. And then maybe if they're good enough, we can encourage them to move over and take part but it's not happened so far
1: so were you shocked by what happened over the past few years I mean I was maybe I was being naive maybe you have a better understanding of the problems of misogyny not only in relation to everyday life but in relation to women's sports because I had assumed that we were moving into a new era in which yes women's sports doesn't get as much airtime as men's women don't make as much money and all those things are still true But I thought there was a general sense that, of course, women should have absolutely have the right to play sport and to excel in their sport. And yet suddenly over the past few years, we've gone back to almost like a GDR style situation where everyone is turning a blind eye to the fact that women's sports is really being overturned by this new ideology.
0: Yeah. Something like cycling. You know, there's 50 transgender women. So that's biological males in elite cycling in the USA and Canada alone. So, you know, to say that it's one or two and it doesn't matter is absolute garbage. You know, it's just not true, okay? I mean, things like Parkrun and Strava, you know, I don't know if you're a cyclist and use Strava, but it's what every cyclist uses so they can do course records and, you know, plot their times and all the rest of it. Their system is that you totally to be self-ID. But now women are losing all of their records for Parkruns and Strava by men identifying as women and just breaking them all. You know, so <laughs> it's like, what do we have? You know, what little tiny thing do we have left? It's... um. And again, where would be the harm for Strava and Parkrun to create an extra category that people can just hit? I don't understand. Why, why would we not protect the women? Why would we not say that they can have their own records? You know, I just find all of that kind of bizarre. And you mentioned that we're getting more publicity. We'll we get more publicity in certain sports. So we get more publicity in football, rugby, maybe a little bit of cricket. But if I asked you to name the top female swimmer, I could really struggle. So would most people on the high street. Whereas in my day, that wasn't the case. You know, swimming used to get on television three or four times a year and we'd be able to talk about badminton players and we'd be talking about hockey players. And, you know, we'd be talking about women across different sports um, all over the place. That's not the case now. It's really hard, apart from Olympic year, to see any women doing other sports other than, you know, maybe teams, a few team sports. And again, even with the football, we get this massive push when the ladies are successful and weren't they incredible? And then we practically see nothing. So, you know, and if you look at a newspaper, there'll be 20 stories on men's sport. We'd be lucky if there'll be one on women's. And it's the same with airtime. You know, that statistic, that 4% statistic is is a good statistic. It's actually got worse since then. Um, those are the stats from, I think, up to 2017. But women in America, and, and we're exactly the same, women in America, 4% of the primetime sports airtime, 1% of the U.S. sponsorship dollar. 1%.
1: That is a crazy statistic. Um, okay. Sharon, I want to ask you about the impact that jumping into this discussion has had on your life, because you mentioned some of these things in passing in the book and you say you've kind of got used to them, but they are still very shocking. You mentioned when there was an event, I think it was in Cardiff, where people were gathering to talk about um, women's sports, women's rights, and trans activists threatened to burn the building down with everyone inside. We've all seen other instances. We saw what happened to Kelly J. Keane in New Zealand, which to me just looked like a modern day witch trial where she was attacked and pushed and screamed at by a howling, deranged mob. Uh, we know that other women get death threats. They get no platformed, They lose work. Um, they are turned into social lepers in some situations. So could you give us a sense of what it has been like for you to take this stand in defense of women's sports?
0: Yeah, you talked about Riley, you know, Riley Gaines, who was racing Leah Thomas, and they gave the trophy to Leah when they drew. And then, you know, Riley bravely finished her dentistry degree and decided she was going to speak out. Most women, you know, have been threatened into not getting jobs, not being able to pay their mortgages, not being able to finish their university degrees. So they stay quiet. And even to the point where they have a male, you know, with full male genitalia changing in their changing rooms, and they were told that they couldn't have a problem with that it blows my mind that they're not even allowed a voice, you know, even a respectful voice to say, well, can we create a third changing space or something of that nature? You know, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, my dad spoke out during the East German era and he was vilified for that. He was never picked as an international coach because he spoke out. And he literally said, these East Germans are cheating. I don't know how they're cheating. They're obviously taking something, but something needs to be done about it. And he was never selected. And in 1980, I was the only female British individual medalist, the whole team, you know, and he didn't just have me as his athlete. He had another silver medalist as well. He would have been another gold medalist, was also part of his swimming squad. And that vilification for literally asking for justice then is exactly the same as now. You know, it's, it, we seem to be getting the same vilification but just saying, well, look at the evidence, you know, what's going on? Um I just couldn't sit back with any form of conscience and watch it happen over again. And I'm really lucky, Brendan. I've had 40 years of an amazing opportunities in my life. I've had, you know, so many so many wonderful things that I've done. I, you know, I put all my money into property and I live in my house and it's a lovely house and the mortgage is just about paid off. And I've got three beautiful kids and I've got so many wonderful things to be thankful for that if I took a bit of a hit, then I took a bit of a hit. And my mum sadly died. And she left me some money. She split it between me and my brothers. And it was about 80 grand. I'm 100% open and honest about all of this. And I spent every penny just paying my bills. But I thought my mum would be really proud of me that that's what I spent her money on. Because I remember mum telling me that when she bought her first house with my dad, all of the deposit was her money that she'd been given from her dad because she was an only child. And she wasn't even allowed to be on the mortgage. And I just thought, The problem with the young generation now is they don't realise how much sacrifice past generations have made to get the equality that we've got. Yeah. You know, I do. I do remember my mum saying how difficult it was, you know, and I just thought we're flippantly throwing away these things that we've been, we've worked incredibly hard to get, um, thinking that somehow, you know, our... our, I'm, I'm very disappointed at the number of handmaidens that seem to be appearing, <laughs> you know, and, whereas I suppose I love the idea of, of being a strong female, having independence and having a voice, and um, it feels sometimes like a men's movement. The whole thing feels like a men's misogynistic movement at times. Yeah,
1: it's, yeah, it definitely does. I, I've referred to it as misogyny and drag, where if you want to abuse a woman these days, if you want to take away a woman's rights or her space and you want to insult her and call her misogynistic names you just need to identify as a woman and then you get away with it scot-free that seems to be how it works and you've talked about the fact that you've lost work uh, I mean you've just given a very good uh, case there about how you are in in some ways you're in a better position than some of the women who haven't had the successes that you've had and don't have the life that you've had and i think the chilling impact of cancel culture is often it trickles down and it sends a message to women and men at large that if they dare to speak out they will suffer really badly they might lose their job they might lose their home and they can't afford to do any of those things um but you, you have talked about losing work. You talk in the book about people calling you a right-wing extremist and obviously a turf and which basically is a modern-day way of calling a woman a witch. How do you deal with that stuff? How do you deal with the, the loss of work, the, the insults? Is it something that you're now getting used to? Is it something that you feel angry about? How does that make you feel?
0: Um, I think the composter in me comes out as in just Keep throwing them because all it does is make me more determined, you know. And, and I think sometimes they, some of the trans activists have worked that out that you know actually they're not going to be able to abuse me into silence. So you know it just it just makes me just makes me more determined to be able to try to push the the, the truth out there. Um, I have friends that have got transgender children. In fact, I was talking to a friend this morning that's got, you know, a transgender child. And I know I have immense empathy and and, and I love her daughters. You know, I've known her now daughters since they were little boys. And I have no problem with any of that. I'm a huge believer that we treat people on face value and that they're their sexuality, the color of their skins, their religion, that's all irrelevant. It's about the person and whether they're a good or bad person. And that's all that's ever mattered to me. And I suppose I just think, well, we can't please all the people all the time. It's impossible. We live in this ridiculous world where everyone is virtual signaling 24-7, you know, thinking that, that somehow everybody loves them. But actually, we seem to be living in the most hate-filled times that I've ever seen. And a lot of that is down to social media. You know, and, and this bitter world that we live in where people are very jealous of what everybody else has got and we're all living other people's lives instead of living our own lives. And that's why I love sport so much. You know, that's why sport is so important to us. It's so important to everybody, not just elite athletes, because sport, you know, not only physically keeps us in great shape, which is important, it keeps us mentally in great shape. And mental health at the moment, especially in young people, is is dire.
1: So Sharon, my final question for you. I, I think this book is going to make a huge impact on this discussion. It is it's full of facts, full of information and full of examples of how awful it is when women are mistreated in sport and not allowed to play fairly and to com- compete fairly. Um, so I think it will make an impact on that discussion. And I want to just end by asking you how what would be your ideal vision for the future? You mentioned the open category earlier, the idea that there should be an open category in which people can can compete and they, they won't be in the women's and they won't be in the men's. Um, Going forward, there's the open category idea. There's the arguments that you and others are making to say, listen, let's really get out there and defend women's sports and keep it as a specific category. What's your vision like for the next few years? How would you like things to go? How do you see things going? Do you feel optimistic about how things might change?
0: I'm really pleased that World Athletics have done what they've done. Obviously, World Athletics was their Um, We're hoping that World Cycling will do something fairly soon and World Rowing have put in a sub clause, which at the moment does protect females, but that hasn't made its way to the UK. So that's what British Rowing needs to pull their socks up and sort themselves out. British Cycling have just done that. I'm finding it very frustrating that we're kind of doing one sport at a time, you know, and and I'm frustrated that the government haven't been stronger in saying we need to protect female athletes. I would love to see the Equality Act clarified. When it was written, sex meant biological sex, so if now that's been allowed to be manipulated, then let's remove that and put it back to what it was originally meant to be, which was biological sex. If we need to clarify it so that we can protect female spaces, then let's do that. And then it will make it easier, you know, with regards to going to the courts and things like that. And I'm not adverse to that. And I'm not adverse to taking schools to court who don't believe that girls deserve to have their own sport. You know, if, But I, but it would be good to have that protection of the word biological sex being in there. So we can't pretend that it's a grey space, which at the moment we're doing um but i think open and female is probably the most sensible way forward at the moment and then maybe we need to you know meet again maybe we need to have this is an ongoing moving feast being you know what's happening what's important is that we don't have a 20-year experiment at the cost of female athletes to find out that males are stronger than females when we know that males are stronger than females because we have centuries of, of evidence to show us that
1: sharon thank you very much you're welcome